0: Support has been
1: provided by independent educational grants from Astellas, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, Merck, Pfizer Incorporated, Sanofi Genzyme, and Eurogen Pharma Incorporated.
0: Hi, this is Vic Nitti, Chair of the AUA Office of Education, welcoming you to another AUA Office of Education podcast. This one is an AUA Expert Exchange podcast on the discussions about managing GU cancer. And today, specifically, we will be talking about sequencing and combination of treatment options for renal cell carcinoma. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Dr. Viraj Master. He is a professor and Frey F. Marshall Chair in Urologic Research at Emory University. He also serves as Associate Chair for Clinical Affairs and Quality Director of the Clinical Research Unit in the Department of Urology at Emory and is the Director of Integrative Oncology and Survivorship at the Winship Cancer Institute. Uh, Dr. Master, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. Nidhi. Really honored to be here and thanks for the invitation. Great. I'm going to go over a couple of learning objectives for this podcast and then we'll go ahead uh, and get right into it. So our two uh, broad learning objectives are to explain the sequencing of novel therapies and be able to identify patient progression of disease and secondly, to describe a patient-specific treatment plan that optimizes the use of targeted and immunologic agents for the treatment of kidney cancer. So I thought we might start with just a general discussion about neoadjuvant approaches. You know, Vic, is an
1: incredible time in geo-oncology, but particularly in kidney cancer, it's the poster child for molecular-directed therapies. When I was a trainee, um, there were no effective treatment options for uh, locally advanced or metastatic kidney cancer. And since 2005, with the introduction of sunitinib um, and serafinib, there's been an explosion in directed therapies And now with the advent of immuno-oncology agents starting in 2016, the field is quite immense with really 18 uh, approvals of single agent and and double and and maybe even triplet combinations, So there are a whole host of different things to think about. Historically, when I trained and likely when you trained, Dr. Nitti, renal cancer was uh, discussed only as a surgical disease, period. And now we know that there might be opportunities to use medications to improve the cure rate of patients. And that gets us right into neoadjuvant therapies. So a lot of effort has gone into figuring out whether giving a medication before kidney cancer surgery can either make a radical nephrectomy into a partial nephrectomy or an unresectable cancer into a resectable cancer? Or finally, and most importantly, for the high-risk cancers, can we possibly give a medication earlier and reduce the recurrence of disease? Generally, stage three kidney cancers have about a 50% recurrence rate. So the one-liner is that really, a lot of the agents that we've tried really don't work. We can get response rates in the 20 to 30% range in small cohorts published retrospectively. And those were generally the uh, earlier used agents like serafinib and sunitinib. But even the more recently approved agents, similarly, that do not have a track record in terms of converting um, patients from, for example, radical nephrectomy to partial nephrectomy probably we're going to see on the horizon things like second and third generation tyrosine kinase inhibitor therapy starting to work. There's a small but elegant study from MD Anderson by Dr. Jose Karam that shows um, preoperative exitinib might be very efficacious in helping patients go from partial to radical nephrectomy. A big shout out and plug to the Um, NCI ECOG trial called PROSPER where it's a single shot of nivolumab, which is a PD-1 inhibitor given about four weeks before surgery and then continued for uh, nine more months after surgery once a month. This is the largest study till date by far, 800 patients um, all across the nation and we as urologists should really be part of this to try to see whether or not um, the, one of the most modern agents with a really great track record in the metastatic setting can be used in neoadjuvant setting to improve um, survival for patients. So it's a randomized study and you only have to go to clinicaltrials.gov and Google Prosper and you'll find it. Um, I encourage all of us to participate in this. Um, we're one of the highest accruing centers in the country and I would say, generally, our patients have done very well with it.
0: What are some of the parameters that urologists should look for to determine if someone might be a candidate for a neoadjuvant trial? You know, what are what are in the clinical setting? What are some of the things we're looking for to say that this is a good patient for such a trial?
1: Well, we can generally say the, the the statement that bigger is not always better is true, especially in kidney cancer. And so if there is a large renal mass, so above seven centimeters or node positive clinically, meaning on radiography, one sees um, increased size of lymph nodes, consider that patient for a neoadjuvant trial, because we know, know that if we just do a radical nephrectomy, the chance of Recurrent is
0: about 50%. Okay, so we certainly haven't gotten to where we are in bladder cancer with neoadjuvant therapy and approaches, but hopefully as uh, we move on and new protocols become um, available, we'll make some progress in that area. And it certainly sounds like there's a lot of uh, interest and excitement in that area.
1: I absolutely think so. And I will say there's, you know, the very, the, There are smaller studies, for example, at my institution, we have two where we give preoperative cabozantinib, um, the latest kid on the market, so to speak, for a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, and then, or a combination of immunotherapy and tyrosine kinase inhibitor therapy. So um, we are not the only ones who are doing this, but there are multiple centers, usually academic centers across the country where your patients uh, might be able to find a home for a new adjuvant study, even if it's not part of the Prosper trial. And many patients sometimes are a little bit hesitant about being randomized um, to either no treatment or treatment. But there are there are other studies for them to access
0: well. Well let's talk a little bit about adjuvant therapy. Who are the most appropriate patients after surgery to receive um, additional Uh, treatment with either um, chemotherapy, directed agents, or immune therapy? Um, And how are those patients doing?
1: That's an uh, incredible question. I get asked this question a lot on telephone calls from urologists uh, across my region. The short answer is currently the FDA has only approved one agent, uh, sunitinib, um, for uh, adjuvant treatment in kidney cancer. And you might say, well, how well does it work, really? The answer is you give a year of therapy and you get an increase in disease-free survival of a year. So, Note that I've not said increased overall survival; it's just increased disease-free survival. So, there, in practice, many of us who do this kind of work um, are not really using adjuvant sunitinib. Again, the only agent, the only agent that is currently approved uh, in the United States um, for adjuvant treatment. If I were to talk to the patients about it, who are the patients I talk to? It would be the patients with stage three kidney cancer, meaning the the patients who I would suspect are likely to recur, or patients with kidney cancer that's invaded other organs, the PT4 um, cancers that make their way to stage four. Those are patients who I would say, look, you know, you've got a greater than 50% chance of recurrence. Um, Here is an agent. It's an oral agent. It's usually given um, either four weeks on, two weeks off, or two weeks on, one week off. It does have a host of side effects, particularly hand-foot syndrome, where your hands and feet blister um, and hypertension, but that's what we have. I would say, Dr. Nitti, that this agent is actually not approved uh, in Europe, so it's only in the United States that that this is approved in. Every other agent that we We have tried, and goodness, we've tried a lot. Um, We have not been able to find another effective agent. Um, We've looked at pazopinib, exitinib, um, and others. The ECOG um, consortium also looked at each of these drugs compared to each other. And um, unlike um, the New England Journal of Medicine study, which showed a positive effect for disease-free survival for sunitinib, it did not. So it's a little bit of a mixed picture in that there's maybe one one tiny glimpse that there could be activity, but there's a hell of a lot of data that shows there's no real activity for some of these tyrosine kinase inhibitors. On the horizon, and this is important, are immuno-oncology agents. So there has been a large amount of studies enrolling hundreds of patients across the world that have mostly recently <coughs> completed accrual. These um, are agents such as anti-PD-1 or anti pdl one inhibitor therapy, um, particularly atezolizumab or pembrolizumab, um, and those are expected to report out in about two years. So it doesn't help the practicing urologist today, um, but um, those trials accrued very quickly and we have high hopes for them as they are more active agents um, a doublet therapy of nivolumab and ipilimumab um, is almost done accruing across uh, across the world, and we look forward to that as well. So in a nutshell, there's only one drug. It doesn't really work to increase overall survival.
0: Are most of the trials looking at the newer agents, comparing them to synitinib? Synitinib. Um, the- Sunitinib is definitely the
1: agent that has gotten um, kind of, uh, it, it's the straw man that everything else gets put up against. Um, so yes, they are. However, um, some of the trials are designed with a placebo versus active drug only. So it is not as though all the trials are compared to, to uh, snitinib. There are um, placebo-controlled trials, and, and I think that's okay. Um, okay. Sunitinib definitely has a large proportion of side effects that many patients and their families find
0: uh, intolerable. So these are not patients that need to have failed sunitinib, for example. They can go directly into these trials as a, a primary adjuvant therapy. Yes, that is correct, Dr. Nitty So what do you think the future holds for I- immune therapy in adjuvant treatment for, for kidney cancer?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Everyone wants to know that perhaps because there's so many TV ads for uh, some of these immuno-oncology agents saying they're gonna cure everything in, in every person. So the elephant in the room, Dr. Nitti, is that we don't really have any biomarkers. We don't know who is going to respond to these immuno-oncology agents, which I will just say um, on this podcast, are not completely benign. Um, yes, a lot of patients take them, and they have a go. They can go to work, uh, social activities, and so on. But there are patients who have a significant amount of side effects, including pneumonitis, colitis, any kind of itis or inflammation that you can possibly think of. And sometimes there are actually fatal events from inflammation gone awry. So you give the medication even a single dose and all of a sudden a huge amount of inflammation has been unleashed in the body. Uh, We and others have tried to understand, are there possible signals in the immune environment that can tell us who is going to respond and who is not? We published a paper last year in Nature showing that the percentage of CD8 positive T cells in a patient will directly determine their outcome not only in kidney cancer, but a variety of other geocancers cancers as well. And others are working on this problem actively, I should say. However, for the urologists today, we cannot tell which patient is going to respond and which patient is not going to respond
0: to adjuvant immunotherapy approaches. So I'm gonna ask a similar practical question that I asked with neoadjuvant approaches is that for urologists out there, which patients are most appropriate to refer for adjuvant immune therapy trials or adjuvant any therapy trials?
1: Yeah, um, that's a, a great question. It's a kind of a deep question even um, I would say one, certain small renal masses are evil um, and will be destined for metastatic development. However, certainly not all small renal masses are that way. In general, any renal tumor that is stage three, so that's PT3A and above, so it could be renal sinus fat invasion, perinephric fat invasion, IVC tumor thrombus or renal vein thrombus. Those are excellent patients to um, have a discussion about the consideration for adjuvant trials, immunotherapy or immunotherapy plus TKI therapy trials. I would say patients and their families will benefit by getting at least a discussion of that.
0: Great. All right. Well, we've talked about neoadjuvant and then adjuvant Um, let's talk about metastatic uh, renal cancer. Um, There's a number of agents out there. Um, How does one decide which ones to pick?
1: The short answer is it's almost dealer's choice and what the treating physician feels most comfortable using. I'm going to give you a few practical points for how we think about about these. First off, um, every single of the approvals, and there's three current approvals for using agents uh, in the metastatic disease setting as first-line agents in 2020. Um, they're all doublets, um, meaning giving two medicines at once. and They've all been compared to Sutin. Sutin's the the straw kid on the block who gets beat on um, because every single one of these agents are getting compared. So the first of them, and the first one that got approval was a combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab. Um, This um, particular um, therapy, amazingly, uh, Dr. Nitti, really amazing to me as someone who uh, spends most of their time doing kidney cancer, has a 60% response rate six out of 10 patients are gonna respond and a 10% CR rate, which means 10% of patients actually experience a complete response, meaning every single disease that we can measure in their body disappears. Um, and this is not just a short-term effect. Um, last year, um, uh, Dr. Tanier and colleagues from MD Anderson published 48-month data um, showing that a third of patients had sustained and durable responses. And that too, not just patients with um, kind of easy metastatic kidney cancer, but we're talking about sarcomatoid kidney cancer as well, one of the variant histologies that often have a much worse prognosis. So that's the big one. And most in the country are using that. Other one, the other two that are approved are pembrolizumab and axitinib which is a combination of immuno-oncology and tyrosine kinase therapy. Um, that's an anti-PD-1 inhibitor. And then a uh, volumab, excitinib, which is an anti-PD-1 um, tyrosine kinase therapy. And those are both approved. It's timely that we're having this conversation today because um, just a couple of days ago, uh, in fact, uh, the day before yesterday, pem- uh, Pembrolenvatinib, uh, press release was uh, obtained showing that it also has tremendous activity in overall survival, progression-free survival, and overall response rate. Additionally, um, nivolumab and cabozantinib have also had a favorable um, reported profile. So I expect that in the next few uh, months, we'll see those on the table as well. That's a lot. It's a lot to try to decide who, which patient should get at which of these doublets because they're both costly as well as have some toxicity with them. Um, I guess the short one-liner is, it depends on the amount of disease the patient has and um, sometimes how quickly you want things to act. Um, Generally agents like uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitor therapy can act pretty quickly um, so, that might be the patient with a lot of disease, poor performance status. You really want to get control of the disease. Um, picking immuno oncology plus a tyrosine kinase inhibitor doublet therapy is the right way to go. Um, however, again, as I said, a lot of this is um, dealer's choice, and the NCCN guidelines um, support you know all, all of these. One of the bugaboos that we have, um, Dr. Nitty, is that we really don't know what to do if the patient doesn't have clear cell, renal cell carcinoma or sarcomatoid. So patients with papillary renal cancer or chromophobe renal cancer that have metastasized, you know, we just don't have the data. We're not, those trials are really um, not being done um, at an increased frequency and not really being reported. Now, most patients do have clear cell, renal cell carcinoma, 75 to 85%, but Certainly a fraction of patients don't, and we need to do more studies. There's one headed by SWOG on, on papillary renal cancer, um, headed by Dr. Monty Paul that, that um, hopefully will report out, but the opportunity is significant to um, try to help
0: those patients as well. So here, here's a question for you, since the agents seem to work effectively in metastatic Renal cancer. Why not use those protocols in settings such as the adjuvant setting or even the neo adjuvant setting? Is it uh, something to think about? Is it because there's too much toxicity, too much cost? Yeah. Th- those
1: are, I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, one, um, I think think in a, in a scientifically rigorous methodical fashion, I think we are doing that. We, we tried our best with adjuvant therapy and um, the initial, uh, if you will, version 1.0 of um, active agents of kidney cancer, seratin, um, sunitinib and serafinib, and those didn't work. So now we're trying the other agents, as I said, single uh, immuno oncology agents, and those will report out. If there's a positive signal from those, then I think we'll add in doublet therapy but we've got to see some evidence of a signal. So I, that is happening, I would say. However, it's a pretty hard sell for patients to say, you know, we're going to give you a medication that can produce significant toxicity. Really, um, the toxicities are not easy to predict for which patient's going to have colitis or pneumonitis, dermatitis, ennitis, um, when they don't have any evidence of kidney cancer because... You know, a significant fraction of patients are cured, so they they and their families ask, "Well, wait a second, why am I going to have these um, potentially huge side effects or large co pays or something like that um, if we don't know that this is going to work?" Because you can't tell me there's a biomarker. So that's something that we as a field have to contend with. And from a translational perspective, lots of people, um, ourselves included, are trying to help answer that question. But I mean, that's a Super great question. The neoadjuvant question, I think, is um, a really good question because urologists do contend with the quote unquote unquote unresectable mass. Like, can you do anything to facilitate this or have it come off the liver or spleen or something like that to make facilitate surgery? I think that would be that's easy peasy, and that's where urologists should be leading the efforts in designing new adjuvant trials, and and we are. At my own institution, as I mentioned, we have two that are open and and recruiting. And then, you know, the AUA has spent a significant amount of uh, intellectual effort uh, convening multiple panels on how to manage um, renal tumors of various sizes. And we now know that if we can do a partial nephrectomy, the patient benefits. So that's our opportunity. How can we use these agents to facilitate radical into into partial? And I think. Probably that's a sweet spot where um, we can continue to design trials in, in this
0: particular spot for us. You know, as a last question to you, one thing that I've always um, had a difficult as as a non oncologist that I've had a, a, a difficult time getting my my sort of my my arms around is when you let's say you use immune therapy in an adjuvant setting when do you stop? You know, do we have, or, or how will that be determined in the future? You know, in the metastatic setting, um, you know, immune therapy can continue indefinitely if the patient's responding, but in the adjuvant setting, what sort of uh, signals or markers do you use to say, okay, that's enough? Yeah, that's great. Uh, once again, Maybe
1: because you're not an oncologist, Dr. Nidhi, the precise question that we all want to know the answer to. We don't. Um, The trials that have been published and the trials that have been designed and are in progress and finished recruiting or currently just finishing recruiting are all about a year of therapy. Now you might say, well, gee, Raj, why just a year? Why not two years? Why not six months? And we don't have any great answers for you. We, we do some hand-waving and say, well, we're extrapolating from other cancers, but then those same other cancers have also used a year for, for um, not biologically necessarily rational reasons. So we don't know, but, but these this is exactly why as a last a topic question, Dr. Nitti, we need better biomarkers. Like what if we had some way of looking at a blood signal and saying, aha, you've got enough prime T cells um, or you have an absence of a cancer signature in your bloodstream, you don't need anything. That would be the holy grail for us. And, and again, you know, shout out to all those across the country and world who um, are working on this, including AUA Research Foundation scholars, like this is, that's, that's what we need to do to help our patients.
0: Well, Viraj, thank you so much. I think this has been a really uh, excellent summary of, of where we are. Uh, with uh, advanced treatments uh, for renal cell cancer. We've made uh, a lot of progress in the area of metastatic uh, kidney cancer where uh, when I trained and when you trained, uh, there really wasn't much. Uh, It sounds like we're getting there with respect to neoadjuvant and adjuvant approaches and it, it would seem like biomarkers Um, and and such are going to be, uh, when we have those, that will be a major advance so we can understand better how to utilize these agents, which agents to use, when to use them, how long to use them, et cetera. Um, So this has really been great. Uh, Before we close, uh, do you have any closing remarks? I wanna thank
1: um, the AUA Office of Education um, for, getting these podcasts out. Um, I and most others really enjoy the podcasts and listening to to you uh, on the podcast, Dr. Nitti and your interviewees. So we've all learned a lot. I've learned about non-oncology issues through these podcasts. So thank you very much. And thanks to the AUA for uh, sponsoring this.
0: Well, uh, I I thank the Office of Education as well. I think this uh, was a great project that we launched a number of years ago and uh, hopefully it will continue uh, long after uh, I have departed. Uh, Dr. Viraj Master, thank you so much. I would also like to thank our audience for listening. And as always, for more information, you can visit us at auanet.org university. Thank you.